Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to, the to the pod. I'm Jacob. I am Jessica. And what do we do here, Jessica? We are a TV murder mystery home detective podcast, or we're a TV murder mystery morning quarterback detective podcast. Monday morning quarterback. Oh, hey, Monday hey, hey, morning. Sure, 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 what did sure, I sure. say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a total spoilers podcast. Total spoilers podcast. All the spoilers yes. all the time Basically, right we watch murder mystery procedural TV shows and guess who done it after just a few moments. Then we finish watching the show and take score. Who was right, who was wrong, and who was dead. Dun dun. That's a <laughs> shout out to the scene in The Princess Bride. Anyways, Anyways we're not anyways. watching The Princess yes, Bride this no, week. Today, this, what are we watching this week? Today we are watching Waking the Dead, a show that premiered on the BBC in September 4th, 2000, Ooh. and it ran until 2011 in the UK for 92 episodes and nine seasons. And Those um, Brits in their 10-episode seasons. Yes. <laughs> nine seasons, well, 92 episodes. you know, the more we get into this watching a lot of these British shows, sure. and I'm looking at people's backgrounds, I'm finding shows that have... I found a show that has a thousand episodes. Are you kidding me? A thousand one hundred and ninety. That does that makes no sense. If you do a thousand episodes of a British show, that means that British TV show has been around for a hundred years. I cry shenanigans. It's probably a soap opera. Oh, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. It crazy. So um this is Waking the Dead is a crime drama. Make no mistake, this is not a lighthearted. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. This is this. I is, mean, it is fun, but it's drama. Yeah, this is not a comedy murder mystery. This is not a lighthearted. This, no, this is absolutely. Yeah. it's very and, similar. It's very similar to CSI very, in that it like yeah. there's this team. They're led by this grizzled older detective, and they use science and technology to kind of crack the case and do it. They don't do live cases. They only do cold cases. Yeah. But I will say this, like, you'd think, looking at it immediately, that it was a CSI ripoff, but it actually premiered before CSI, but only by a month. So oh. this is one of those shows, like, clearly there was just a need in the world for, like, science, forensic, heavy, murder mystery shows. Because yeah. there was CSI, spawned the whole franchise. This went on for nine seasons. There was something that just needed to be happened. Law Some, Order. Sometimes that happens. CIS. Yeah, it's just in the zeitgeist. Sometimes we need two movies about an asteroid crashing into Earth right. or a volcano erupting in L.A. Yeah. It just needs to happen. There's a team led by a gruff older cop that is named Detective Superintendent Peter Boyd. Boyd is gruff, no-nonsense cop. He likes to go with his gut and hunches. And he also, you know, he listens to the science. But he's that guy who's like, I know he's not the murderer. The guy loves to choose scenery. Oh, my God. He thinks that scenery is the best tasting thing you've ever put in front of him. He loves to yell at people, get him in the interview room. He'll try and browbeat a confession out of you, do something he doesn't like in an investigation, and he'll castigate you. But it's just because he cares so much, damn it. Yes, definitely. So in looking up his background, it was interesting. His breakout role... Who's the actor? Film. We haven't said the actor. Oh, I'm sorry. Name. The actor's name is Trevor Eve. And his breakout role was in 1979. He, he played Jonathan Harker in Dracula, the Laurence Olivier and Frank Langella collaboration. So it, an interesting thing about him, he, he has a long career, uh, including most relevant to me, an episode of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And Death Comes to Pemberley 
which is a follow-up to Pride and Prejudice uh, from a couple of years ago, starring, like everybody in England, including Matthew Reese, who is Ooh. in Perry Mason, and the from Americans. the Americans, yeah. the Welsh actor playing a Russian who is undercover as an American. That I, I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. I adore him. It's true. He plays Mr. Darcy, like the most important role. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. of Death Comes to Pemberley. But Trevor Eve plays Sir Selwyn Hardcastle, which I, I don't remember exactly who that I've is, but no it's one of the lead roles. Sure. So, yeah, uh, back to Trevor. He is currently on a... So sometimes I'm going to go off on tangents here, Jacob. We're just going to go down the garden path. Trevor right. Eve is currently on a woman-driven writing and directing staff show called, I mean, there are a couple dudes in there too, sure. but it's basically a, a lot of woman identifying people seems like, and it is called discovery of witches. And it has had three seasons. I think you can find it on Amazon prime. Anyway. So he, he, he's in that he's in, like he's in freaking everything. Yeah. You cannot open a TV show. It seems like without seeing this guy, I kept, there was like a year there where I was like, he's in this too. Anyway, so he's in the show called Discovery of Witches. It's in it has it's on his third season. Okay, so tell us about the next most important character. Yes, yeah, so the lead character. Detective Boyd is assisted by the capable and empathetic Dr. Grace Foley. She's a forensic psychologist. She's a profiler. She's there to say things like well, if they were traumatized as a child, they might want to go back to the original place of wounding or something like that. So, so she is misused in this role. She's no, not misused. She she's really, not she's misused. Really she's just, no, yeah, I would sorry. argue that she is probably one of the characters that this was created for. One, um, of, the, one of the characters or yes, one of the actors? Or? Yeah, because she is a mature woman. She's not a young, hot thing. The actress is Sue Johnston. And I enjoy her in a show that in America is called Clatterford. It's a British show. She's in Clatterford? She's the lead in Clatterford. And it was in the UK, it was released as Jam in Jerusalem. But I, I guess they figured Americans wouldn't get that. Yeah, so, sure. so yeah, and Clatterford is created by the famous British comedians French and Saunders. But, I didn't know that either. The yeah. French and Saunders created Clatterford. Yes, yeah, That's and they're both hilarious. in it. As well, it's fantastic. That is, d dear listener, that is one of Jessica's sick day DVDs. Yeah, like you can, I love like to she watch just it. likes to hole up in bed and throw that DVD into the player and just yeah. watch it. It's it's really fun. It's it's all these mature women. It's like it's a cast of like ten women and and some dudes as well. But it's so many ladies, and they just all have these interesting characters, and they get into these silly circumstances, and it's it's just really fun. And it has a great theme song. So anyway, she also uh, is very famous in Britain, probably, I would assume, for 172 episodes she did on the British soap opera Coronation Street, which is super, super Yeah, even I famous. recognize Coronation yeah. Street. Yeah. So a very accomplished actress, You're drama, right. comedy, right. and... and I, uh, I would like to strike from the record my comments that she was misused. But it is a little, like, let's be honest, it is a little... It's a TV show. They're not really going to do anything very actually psychology-based. So. No, no. <laughs> no, and I guess we'll get to this later, but the creator of the show, Barbara Matchin, or We'll go Lockin, with Matchin. We'll go Matchin. with Matchin. Was a, or is currently, and when she creates this, uh, a mature woman writer. She was not, definitely not like a Dan Harmon, you know, young Turk creating right. a TV show. And so 
you know, I, I think that, you know, sometimes, not to say that women don't write for men, obviously, you know, Trevor Eve is heading this show, but, you know, she wants to have also an older woman represented there. It doesn't need to be just all yeah. hot girls, which I think is a, a tendency in a lot of TV shows. She's kind of like the mom a little bit. She carries a lot of the emotional baggage in the office, I feel like. Okay, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. So, yeah. yeah. So, moving on from her, there's another detective. There are two more detectives on the force. So, there is the lead detective, Boyd. There is the forensic psychologist. And then there are two more detectives. One of those detectives is Spencer Jordan. He's the only person of color on the main team. He's smart. He's capable. He's overachieving. And he is always getting berated by Detective Boyd. You should have thought of that. Why didn't you do this thing I didn't ask you to do? He's constantly on the wrong foot with Detective Boyd. And honestly, I'm not even sure... I'm not even sure that he comes around and has some kind of like paternal feelings for him or protective feelings for him. Like, he just always seems to be kind of picking on this guy. Yeah. I, well, and I would say he also picks on the other Oh, detective. he picks on everybody. Yeah, he picks on everybody. Even when they, a lot of times they go and do things like they take the initiative and then he's like, well, I didn't oh, ask yeah, you he, to do that. And you're like, but that's like, that would be the next question. The, he hates them taking the initiative. He yeah. yells at them if they don't take the initiative. And when they do take the initiative, they've done it wrong. It's a horrible management style. Yeah. And he, there are also episodes where he, so I always feel like this, this show, there's always like in the first act, there's like a, <laughs> yeah, he, the, really Detective care. Boyd is always throwing a temper tantrum he, he in the first throws, act. Yeah, and everybody else is kind of like, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be all right, man? Are you going to be okay? <laughs> so, but Detective Jordan, who plays Detective Jordan? Give us the IMDB yes. tidbits. Yeah, so Will Johnson plays uh, Detective or D.I. Spencer Jordan. Will Johnson has had lots of more mystery drama roles, as well as a lead role in a uh, show called Clocking Out, which is about working class people in a town clocking in and out. And recently he was in the fantasy show on Amazon called Carnival Row with Oh Orlando yeah, that Bloom. was a fun one. That yeah, was beautiful. It said he only had one episode. He played Puck. I, I don't remember. I guess they killed him in the first episode, but it was very meaningful because when I saw that he played, I was like, oh, that was him. That was amazing. I totally remembered him. Anyway, and then right now, in he is in the most recent seasons of Outlander. And he was also in a famous run as Othello at, in 1994 at the Royal Lyceum Theater. And interesting tidbit that he put into his bio on IMDb, um, when he was a young actor trying to gig and uh -huh. get roles and, you know, needed a second job, he, he was uh, working at a funeral parlor and doing a lot of different odd jobs as an undertaker for them. Interesting. And he okay. got recognized, and his first autograph was somebody at a funeral. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cognitive dissonance. I really, really hope it wasn't a member of the family, a bereaved family. It's just like, <laughs> look, um, I know my father died, but you are kind of famous. Can I get your autograph? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's bad timing. It's just bad timing. <laughs> All right, so he is usually partnered with Amelia Silver, also called Mel. She's blonde, she's gritty, and she definitely wants to be as tough as the guys. She likes doing research. I think she does a little more research than Spencer Jordan does. And uh, she gets a little exasperated when she's not taken seriously. And that kind of happens a lot. Yeah, 
She's kind of like the little sister yes. of the family. Yes, she absolutely is. Claire Goose is her name. Is Claire the actress's Goose. Name. Her resume includes a ton of crime and mystery drama, including the show Casualty that I mentioned at the right. beginning. She was also on Holby City, and which is, like I said, another hospital show that seems to have spun off of Casualty. And a lot of people... She was very famous for being on that, apparently. I haven't seen it, but in her IMDb bio, it notes that she almost got this really big role on Coronation Street, and she was sad to have not gotten it, but because she didn't get it, she got Holby Street, and that was even better, and it was fine. And the woman who played the role on Coronation Street is just fine. So is there anything else about the show that we should talk about before we get into this? we also need to talk about the... Oh, you're right. You're right. The last last member of the team. It's their their lab scientist, Dr. Frankie Wharton. Frankie Frankie is a great lab scientist. She is one nervous tick away from being that doctor who runs crazy experiments in a microwave that somehow always turn out to provide the right clue. Uh, but she is always providing the right clue. Like I said, this is a show that like digs into the technology and how it can open cases up. So there's lots of DNA testing and ligature root marks and all this kind of stuff. And she's a very handy lock pick as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw an episode in which three characters that had been exhumed from a shipwreck when she, she was working on some different items of evidence and... There was one particular piece of evidence that seemed to be very attached to those three dead people, the skeletons that were kind of behind her laid out on tables. But she was working on another piece of evidence, and she suddenly feels, and the camera shows that over the ghosts, the very physical body ghosts are like coming up behind her and she kind of looks over her shoulder and the ghosts disappear but we all saw them and we know that she felt them and so she literally go she literally takes the piece of evidence that she's working on and she puts it aside and picks up the other piece of evidence and starts working on it because she's like, okay, I think uh, I'm being told there is something important about this. So that actress is Holly Aird, A-I-R-D. And I'll accept um, that. she was a she's a child star. She oh. was a, in a ballet school and they needed an, an actor to play a certain role and a little, you know, a little person. Sure, yeah. And they found her and cast her and then she just took off. She just her parents she were is very delightful supportive. On scene. I mean I yeah. I made a joke that she's that quirky doctor, but she just she does have an effervescence about her, and she's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So um, so she's been acting since 1980. However, she does leave this show in the fourth season. She took a year off and then went on to a lot of other things, including Casualty, <laughs> including <laughs> Grant Chester. And currently, she is in The Discovery of Witches <laughs> with Trevor Eve. So I thought that was funny. So what else can yes. we tell you about the show? Just a couple more things. A couple more things about the show. One, I'm not sure if we said this, but every story contains two different episodes. There's the first half in episode one, and then it wraps up in episode two. They're hour-long episodes, and they were shown on consecutive nights. So they oh, weren't all. They weren't. It wasn't like a two-hour movie night. It was okay. like Monday we watch this, Tuesday we watch this. Oh, I this. like that. Yeah, it was. It, it, I can't decide if I like that better than having to wait a week in between episodes or not. But I definitely like 
you know, I'm not a binger. I'm not a binger kind of guy. I like having a little bit of anticipation and a little bit of break between episodes. Yeah. That's just me. I'm an old. But there you go. The and the sound there. in this show. They do have a lot of fun with sound in this yes, show. They do they not have really a problem do. like layering in other sounds that aren't diegetic. Like if somebody's talking about a beach, they don't have any problem bringing in gulls. And they really like they really love to just pop punch everything up like all the sound effects are a little extra when they want to go into it yeah anyways we have to have that anyways what are we watching okay. tonight what is tonight, the show that we're guessing on we are watching season four episodes seven and eight and the episodes are called anger management one and anger management two <laughs> yes the episode logline is a probation officer is murdered in a halfway house but is made to look like a suicide Ooh. Yeah. So this is written by John Milne, Andy Hay, who's the director, and Barbara Maschin, who is the creator. And maybe I'll talk about her later. Fair enough. All right, here we go. Let's dive into this hostel. It's a hostel hostel. <laughs> Well, that is, uh, that's a way to begin. They are gunshot happy this episode. They are all about repeated gunshots in this, in this scene so far. <laughs> like for a show that doesn't like to show guns, they just decided all in. We are going to, we are going to hit you with as many. It's not like we went into like a Billy, like not like we went into like a gunfight at the OK Corral here, but like there are lots of just like repeated firings of a gun in yes. this like dramatic way to show that they were testing a gun and that this was a gun and a murder. And maybe he was murdered this way, bang. Maybe he was murdered this way, bang. Well, if he was lying like this, he would have been murdered like this, bang. bang. Or maybe he shot himself, bang. Well, there's a lot of extra mo motifs in this. Oh, yeah. They're, they're definitely, also... This is definitely their Emmy episode. Like They are oh. definitely going for, like, we are <laughs> going for down. high TV <laughs> art on this episode. There are so many intercuttings between, like, well, like, yes, they start cuttings. in medias res. So, like, they start at this point where the Detective Boyd is... Is that Latin? In, in medias res, res, in the middle of things. Uh -huh. Yes. They start with Detective Boyd leading this person out of a car. And the person is this man who's got, like, longish gray hair. And he's got his hands in handcuffs. And as they're walking under a bridge, they go to this dimly lit nighttime scene. By the way, it's a tree in the middle of nowhere. But, of course, there's this, like white light coming from somewhere illuminating the side of everything which is just, anyways it's probably from the freeway above sure okay yeah we'll say it's from the freeway whatever in any event it was super it was super self-conscious dramatic lighting so detective boyd leads this guy to this clearing the guy meanwhile tricks detective boyd into going over somewhere he picks up a gun shoots and we are meant to think that he has just shot and killed detective boyd and that is the opening to the show yeah. so Clearly, this guy with the white hair is the bad guy. That is what you're supposed to think right there. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, maybe he is, and maybe none of these guesses will mean a thing. Yeah. Well, but we're still going to do it. Because that, yeah, so it starts in the middle of things, but it's a flashback. Because then it says... The no, next, it's not a flashback. Yes, it is. It says this was two weeks earlier. The, so the gunshot is contemporary time. Then it says two weeks earlier, so the rest of what we're seeing is a flashback. The gunshot to start it is well, not a flashback. Well, I think him in therapy is Oh, yeah, it's totally a flashback. It's Absolutely. after. You think it's after all this? 
Yeah. Okay, so to explain to people who don't know what's going on is that, so after they start in the media's rest, they go to this flashback and they, they're looking at a crime scene and then they're back at the forensic lab and intercut with all of this very hard cuts is Detective Boyd at a therapist's office. And they keep showing the sky scenes of clouds. Yes. When he's, when he's talking the... to the therapist, who is in like a 10th floor building on a clear day in yes. London, one would suppose. So it's a flashback within a flashback. Yeah. It's great. And even within those flashbacks, there's hard cuts between camera angles and what he's saying. So like it, it's very like disassociative. And like schizophrenic, where it's just like I'll say this, and then I'll say this, and then I'll say this, and then yeah. all the clouds the cuts and change. gunshots and clouds and gunshots, and... and then there's like whole sorts of like camera porn as the detective like takes gently takes apart this gun, but meanwhile they're investigating the scene. Okay, what's the plot? We got to get to the plot. Before no, no, wait, wait, we'll get to that later. We just have to guess right now. Well, no, I know, but you have to know who we're guessing and what we're we're guessing about. So someone was killed. Or committed suicide in a hostel. Uh, Which, or a halfway house yes. is commonly in our... We, yeah, we would think of it as a halfway house. Because they, it's not a hostel for vacationers. Right, which I completely thought. I completely thought it was a hostel for vacationers, but it's not. It's for people who are on probation. This is their temporary housing where they have to go to. Someone was found dead there. The police originally ruled it a suicide. Detective Boyd and Frankie don't think that it was a suicide. So they have to decide, was this a suicide? Was it murder? If it was murder, who did it? Meanwhile, Detective Boyd's in therapy and quoting Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream, and he's trying to be in a good mood. And the guy who shoots Detective Boyd in the opener, he's a resident at the halfway house and he has the happiest prison scene in the world like literally this is like the happiest prison scene outside of Shawshank Redemption where he's <laughs> teaching a black man in the prison to play flamenco guitar and then he goes home to his loving family who's super happy to see him and there's one more character that you meet who is another mentally disturbed person at the halfway house who was in the halfway house because he strangled the guy who quote-unquote interfered with his sister. Which was a big LOL for me because I think in another episode we discussed the word interfered. Yes. And I, I was Which like, I... it's such a British euphemism. But the actress, or Claire Goose, who plays Mel, Mel actually says to the guy, interfered? What do you mean by interfered? And I was like, <laughs> oh, really? really? You're going it to ask? Interfered with her private parts, I think, it's was what his reply. His reply. And we were all like, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's we all got that so there you go so that's who we have so far we have the guy with white hair whose name is sam we have the guy who was dead whose name is don oh no the guy who's dead is named tim and we have the guy who found tim dead and is a little mentally challenged and that is don and don also obviously stays at the hostel so all we have are two suspects right now, but we had to stop. We were 25 minutes in. We couldn't wait for any more suspects. This is what we know. We've got to come up with some oh, guesses. Oh, we have, we have one other important thing that we have to mention. Yes. The reason why Frankie... So Frankie had been at the site as the coroner, and then, but the detective on site that morning was like, it's a suicide, pack it up, everybody's done here. Right. But she was pissed. Because she was like, I think I'm up early to do this, and I'm not sure that it is a suicide. But then the police got the gun back, and the gun 
has yes. is the same has the same bullet res, residue marks as these two other undis, undetermined what is what's the unsolved term? unsolved, unsolved cases. mysteries cases from the two past. contract killings from the seventies the and numbers, the eighties yeah and the numbers have Serial all numbers been gun, filed yeah. off so you can't really say that the gun but you know because the bullets right. match so they're like is this guy who's dead was he the killer of the other two people? Because the other thing is, is that this guy has a totally squeaky clean yes, army the, the record. Yes, the victim is totally but squeaky clean. But we don't clean even know record. why he's in the halfway house, honestly. He's Have the he... probationary officer. Oh, he was, he was, the was there because officer. he was the officer in charge, probationary yes. officer. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, he's this totally squeaky clean image, and yet he is dead. And with this gun that has been charged, has been in these two Linked other to these other two uh, contract killings. Correct. Yes. So is so the choice is did he actually kill himself, and how did he come across this gun? Right. And then if he was killed, or did he feel guilty and that's why he killed himself? Right. Or did somebody else kill him because he had killed these other two people, as related to the gun? Right. So yeah, these. Two or why was he killed to begin with? What is or, what is he involved with that is yeah, bad? Yeah, because the the. The suicide, the placement of the gun, because it was like right up against the head, just like the other two murders, it would be like him stretching to the back of his head to kill himself. Yeah. So sorry for all the gruesome. No, but that's that's important because yes. And I'm sorry for making jokes about interfered with. It's not actually funny. (laughs) It's just a euphemism. So the euphemism is funny. The act is not funny. The euphemism is funny. So there's two choices here. Either Sam, so Sam's the guy with the white hair uh-huh. who in the opening shoots Boyd. So our our options are clearly he did it and he's the bad guy and he's trying to kill Detective Boyd and there will be some sort of turnaround, which uh, hopefully I'll get to, that Boyd lives because, duh, of course he lives. Or alternately, he's not the bad guy, but he is somehow forced into shooting Detective Boyd. If he's not the bad guy, who is the bad guy and who wants him dead? Who wants to kill such an amazing flamenco guitarist? Because we meet Sam and he's playing his flamenco guitar, which he learned in Marrakesh. Did he learn it in Marrakesh or was he going to Marrakesh and he found Granada? Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, he was going to Marrakesh and found Granada. Anyways, he's also very lefty and punk. He gives his guitar, so he's practicing flamenco guitar with this black man in prison and ends up gives the man in prison the guitar as he's leaving and the guy's like i can't take it from you and he's like ah property is theft so you know he's a great big radical lefty yeah his wife is also a professor or teacher some professor at a college and she has very like hippie earrings Oh, I didn't I, notice the hippie I earrings. I mean, they're earrings, but I think that they would have been like Professor Hippie earrings. Hippie, the, Professor Hippie, I have a question. <laughs> for the costume designer, they would have been. Right. But, yeah. but looking at these earrings, I was like, oh yeah, I totally know those earrings. In fact, we were watching another episode the other night, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember those earrings too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's clearly involved with something. Is he the bad guy? I, you know, honestly, anytime you can make an ex-hippie, pretentious, flamenco-playing, middle-aged white guy a murderer, I'm down for that. I am all for that. I am there for you. Please, yes. But I don't think he is the ultimate, ultimate bad guy in this. I do think he is just involved with this somehow. 
So why does he end up trying to kill Detective Boyd and who is trying to kill him? I think he ends up trying to kill Detective Boyd because his family is in danger. I think his family's in danger. I think someone's trying to kill him and this is his only way out. I think he was a drug mule. I think that's what mm. happened when he was going to Marrakesh or Granada. I think he was a drug mule. It's not Ireland, so I don't think he was running guns. I think it had more to do with drugs, especially, you know, he's a musician traveling the world, the, the aforementioned hippie nature. So yeah, I think he was a drug mule. I don't know why that means he's connected to those murders. Do we even know why he was imprisoned in the first place? There was a weird flashback of yeah. him beating somebody. With like a pipe. Yeah, with like a pipe. But we're not sure what that's about. Somebody in his neighborhood. Somebody in his neighborhood, yeah. Like looked like a like someone who lived across the street or something like that. Somebody who was a very straight yeah. and the, man the, with a polo shirt on. <laughs> and the theme of this episode is that Boyd, this is hilarious because Boyd is in a, is one of his good mood episodes. He's trying to be positive. And in the therapy session, you find out that the therapist is all like, are you... Do you always wake up thinking the world is a horrible place? Do you always wake up? Blah, blah, blah. So this is all about like maybe having hope that the world is not such a horrible place all the time. So I think he's going to be ultimately absolved. Um, but there are going to be some bad people involved. And people are going to be threatening his family. I'm going to say he had some drugs hidden in his guitars. He, when he has these lessons, he's actually selling drugs or passing along where to get drugs. So I think there's going to be, somebody's going to come out who, through one of his students, he's running drugs, and somehow he's going around and he owes these people millions of pounds because property is theft. So maybe he just didn't think about the money and he took the money and used it someplace else and got the drug people angry at him. And he's kind of been on the run a little bit ever since. And in that case, prison was maybe the safest place for him and his family. But now that he's out, the men want their money. They're coming after him and his family. He's got to figure out how to protect him. He gets mm -hmm. himself into a pickle. And I wonder if the, if the shooting of Boyd wasn't staged just so they could get him deeper undercover and find out who's actually behind it. So I'm going to say somebody we haven't met yet is behind it all, and he is some kind of drug kingpin. I'm going to name him Druggy McDruggerson. Yeah. That's my guess. Druggy uh, McDruggerson. Shoot, you were going to say somebody. Okay, yeah. I, I also was thinking along the lines of not as met yet Druggy McDruggerson. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely somebody we haven't met yet because we've only met two people, and I don't, yeah, I don't believe either of them are actually the villain of this episode. Yeah, I I also wonder if it might be a woman. Ooh. Uh, I, I think that, I, I bet there's a, a woman here somehow. Okay. Or maybe, because his therapy is probably about his son, right? And how the world is a miserable place. Maybe, so yeah, I can maybe see that. there's also a, a son a young son. Oh, like, a, like some kid um, that he had somewhere else that he... Or, well, it's something familial. You know what? That's it. It is something familial because he has a daughter who loves him. Sam yes. does. Has a daughter who loves him. The detective has a son who is dead, and that right. makes him very sad. And the young man who discovered the dead body, he was uh, defending the honor of his sister. sister. Yeah. So I think this is about 
this is somehow about familial loyalty and, and not just loyalty, but protection and being able to care for family in some way or another. I'm, I'm just going to say out of the blue, I wonder if it's a woman that we haven't met yet. I'm wondering if there might be another woman involved. Okay. So I think those are good instincts. And because the other thing about this is there's a moment in the opening where Boyd mentions, um, he quotes from Midsummer Night's Dream. He quotes Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. Something about that, something in the speech at the end about slumber and dreaming. It's not the whole, you did but slumber here when these visions did appear, but it's around that speech and it's about sleep and dreaming. So what in the very pilot episode of this series, they definitely do a hard, hard take on Hamlet where they twist yeah. that around. So I'm wondering how we can twist around Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, well, I mean, if you go with Titania, a son that was taken from her. Ooh. Or, yeah. Or, you know, a fight of, of a father and a mother over a changeling. Over a changeling. Uh, and also, for that matter, lots of, like, just, I've got this drug I'll put in your put in your oh, eyes and make you fall in love sleep. with somebody. Yes. Make you fall asleep and make you fall in love with somebody, the first person to see. So... So I think that I think that goes deeper into the druggy McDruggerson theory of mine, but there's yeah. something happening there. I'm gonna, I, even though my heart wants to believe he's somehow tied up in it, this dead body that we've met at the beginning of this episode, the the, the probation the, officer, right, the probation officer. I my heart wants to think he's somehow involved in this, but I think he he was an accident. Sure. I don't think he was supposed to be killed. I think it was supposed to be somebody else. And I think it, it, he just, he has nothing to do with this, actually. Yeah, he's a red herring. A uh, total red herring. And, well, let's just call the woman Titania. That there's a, a Titania that's going to show up at some point later in the episode. And I think that it's something motivated in keeping a family secret quiet. Okay. And I'm going with Oberon, who just wants to give the drugs to Puck and everybody else. Yeah. In Midsummer okay. Night's Dream, does Oberon give the drugs to Puck, or does Puck have the drugs? And he says, I know what'll be funny. No, Oberon tells him to go find to go the special it. flower. Yep. And he goes and does it. Yeah. And then he tells him where to put it, but then Puck fucks it up. Yeah. So, you're going for Titania, I'm going for Oberon. Yes. Here we go. Okay. Welcome back. Oh my god, two hours later and so many gunshot sounds. Oh my god. Sound editor, you were in love with the gunshots. Kabang, kabang, kabang. All the time. That's my that's my takeaway from this. Many gunshots. Jessica, your takeaway. <laughs> kind of left the therapy behind at a certain point. I we mean, did. We, we there didn't was, have that in the second episode I at was all? thinking the same thing. I don't think we did. I think that it was just one of those things they put in the first one and they did. They let it all go for the second one. First, I have to say, more than anything, I am not disappointed in the therapy. What I am disappointed in, I am disappointed in myself and my half-ass knowledge of Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I hear a quote about a dream and I'm like, it's Midsummer Night Dream. No, no, my friends. 
The quote we heard was not from Midsummer Night Dream. That was not the thing. We were led down the primrose path of Midsummer Night Dream, and we got our quotes wrong. It wasn't from that. It was from The Tempest. It was the we, quote. We, we, we weren't led. We took ourselves. Well, yeah, okay, fine. We took ourselves. We absolutely like said, hey, we know a little bit about Shakespeare. Let's go to Midsummer <laughs> Night Dreamland. Yes. So we did, and we should have gone on an island vacation to the Tempest. So the quote is, all our revels now are ended. These are actors, as I foretold you. We're all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, which might explain the clouds around all the therapy in episode first episode. As I said, in she was they yeah, were like they were on the tenth floor of yeah. a building with very yeah. beautiful, clear view. The cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which it inherit shall dissolve. And like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Thank you very much, Mr. Shakespeare and the Tempest. Thank you very much, Waking the Dead. I suppose I should actually thank my high school Shakespeare teachers who are shaking their head in frustration at me right now. How do you think I feel? <laughs> I was in A Midsummer Night's Dream and I didn't go like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. And, <laughs> and I worked for a Shakespeare company and I wasn't like, I think we should look that up before we go. Before we make, what the, like, you know... <laughs> We we make guesses without clues. We make Shakespeare guesses without context. We're just we're just going for yes, it. We're yeah. just, there you go. Who is right? Who is wrong? And and who misquotes Shakespeare? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, having put that aside, here we go. Here is a recap of the rest of the episode. By the way, I am not going to get into the weeds on this. This was two hours of twists and turns and red herrings and pollen and all sorts of crazies. I'm not even going to get into the pollen because it's just not important. So here's we go. So we were right that more people were going to be introduced. Two yes. more key people were introduced. One person named Mark Andrews, who was an old cellmate of Sam's, came back into Sam's life, and he came to visit him at the hostel. And the other person, so his DNA was there, and so he was brought in as someone who was a person of interest. In flashbacks, we saw that they did know each other. And Mark, guess what? Mark works for a guy named Phil Brown. Phil Brown is a kind of, uh, he's a developer, business developer in town. Phil Brown is this guy, rich city developer, shady side. He's super shady. Super he's shady. He's basically, I mean, he's not mafia. He's just a bad man. He's a bad man. He's not He's not protecting anybody. He's just doing bad, bad deals. He's doing bad things, protecting his own moneyed interests yes. and luring rent boys and other 17-year-old boys into his web of deceit and corruption. And yes, that included Sam way back in the day. So Sam again, white-haired man. Sam again, white-haired man, hippie. Plays who, the flamenco guitar. Right. And at the very beginning and, of this episode, yeah points a gun at Detective Boyd, and presumably shoots Detective Boyd. Yes. So that's where we start. That's where we'll end. We'll get there anyways. 
As soon as Sam gets out of jail, Phil comes and threatens him essentially and says, you still work for me. Sam says, I retired. Phil's like, you'll retire when grass grows between your teeth. And I'm going to maybe, uh, you know, I've got to threaten your family. So we got that right. Like the family was going to be threatened and yes. somehow brought into all this. But there was no woman. There was no woman and there was definitely no drugs. All this running around the world, mm -hmm. drug running stuff, nothing to do with yeah. anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. They all took drugs. Yes, there were many drugs that were taken, but he was not a courier. Yes. He uh, he was, in fact, the hitman. We know he was a bad person in the past. We just didn't know how bad. We learned that he beat a man near to death, which is why he was put into prison. But you, we also know that he's trying to be better. It's almost as if he's two different people trying to reconcile them. Hmm, how will he do this? Well, he does this by framing himself. So Mark Andrews was paid to kill Sam. When Sam tried to retire, Phil got angry. He paid Mark to kill Sam. Well, turns out Mark has bad vision and didn't recognize that the person he was shooting wasn't Sam. It was Tim. That is how this whole murder started happening. So we were right. It was an accidental murder. It was an accidental murder. And the so the police go and find Mark, round up Mark. Mark says, sure, he killed Tim, but he didn't kill Phil. And maybe why don't you ask Sam? So they go and they round up Sam. And the last 20 minutes of the episode is just Sam sitting in a cell confessing to everything. He has been trying to find absolution, and he thinks that by confessing all these things, he will have found absolution in the eyes of the law. Uh, now that he also has absolution, he'd been talking to a rabbi and getting absolution from the rabbi. So, police round up Sam. Sam confesses. Sam even planted a fingernail at the scene of the crime to make sure that he would get called in so that he wouldn't chicken out of confessing. But he wanted absolution. He did promises to take Boyd to where he buried the gun, which is how he kind of kept his two lives separate. When he had the gun, he was a bad man who killed people. When he didn't have the gun, he was just a fun man who played guitars. And he puts guitarist. on a disguise. Right, he puts on he a disguise. Does and his hitman becomes thing. someone else. So, anyways, he takes Boyd to where the gun is. Except he tricks Boyd. He picks up the gun. He shoots. We are meant to think that he shoots Boyd. He really shoots himself. Now he's dead. He is asleep. His play is ended. And Boyd wanders around being like, why did he do that? Why did he do that? It, except for the fact that we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about absolution and wanting to get clear of things. So, you know, Boyd, I don't know what you're thinking. In any event, there you go. It was, he was the, he was in fact the hitman. It was all about how we got there why he got there, and the fact that he wasn't going to actually kill Boyd. He was going to kill himself. I don't think either of us get any points for this. No, I agree. Yeah, that's 100 it. 100% egg. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sad trombone. Yes. <laughs> so, but, okay, I do want to talk about this before we move on to what I am told is some scandalous, <laughs> scandalous knowledge about this show. But before we move in on that, I, so... Like I said, it was the last 20 minutes of the show was this confession. And Jessica was not bored by this at all. And I have to say, I don't know that I was bored by it either. I don't think I was bored in this whole 20 minutes. I was definitely engaged. But I was also like, really? 20 
20 whole minutes of just explaining how things worked and what happened. Talk to me about why you weren't bored with this. I was enraptured by his, his monologue of why, how he got started with, it really felt like I was just sitting there listening to some dude tell his story. Very well edited, I might add. Uh, monologue with gunshots. Ask asking and people asking him questions along sure. the way. So not a monologue exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that he was a he was chosen as a as a rent boy and he just got completely wrapped up in the life of the of the uh, sex drugs and sex music drugs and, and revolution. And That's revolution. So the whole property yes. is theft thing. He was he yes. was an old lefty and he was yes. kind of drawn into this whole being a hitman through the allure of making the world a better yeah. place and which is kind of that sixties seven uh, Charles Manson Charles Manson absolutely kind of. The idea and, that, starts now. and Phil Brown told him that he was he was murdering these he was being a hitman taking care of people who deserved it they yes. were somehow bad to the cause we don't really know how Phil thought they were bad for the cause or what, right yeah that's what, never what cause but. Phil was even in because in the end Phil Phil was just a very rich man with somebody doing his errands and a, a secretary and a beautiful house in the countryside. So very odd in that regard. But, and that's, I think what really, one of the things that really wakes Sam is, well, it, it actually has nothing to do with the money, but he does wake up and realize, oh, I'm not doing this for revolution. I'm doing this because he's using me yeah. and he just wants me to get rid of people that are inconvenient to him. And, and so that, that I guess that, that story of a, of a personal awakening, you know, it, it, it justifies the first moments in, or some of the first moments in the um, script in the first episode where he comes upon, he comes home from curfew and he isn't lying about that. When he is interviewed by the police, he says, I was, had just come home for, you know, to, to curfew. And then they're like, well, why did it take you nine minutes to call? And he was like, I was trying to get the guy to calm down because the guy that the the young man right. on, on probation living in the halfway house who found the dead probation officer was flipping out. And and so it was true that he did have compassion for that young man and was trying to get him to calm down and try to figure out some solutions so that he did not have even though he was holding the gun. And he, he, because he was kind of a little bit of a dunce and he yeah. had picked up the gun, he was trying to help him out and he was being very calm about it. And he was like, we'll just make it look like a suicide, wipe your hands off your, your, you know, all of that was motivated in a truly compassionate, you know, uh, higher feeling of trying to take care of this yeah this young person man. didn't need this 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 person didn't need to be stained like he was stained i yeah. think was one of the one of the lines yeah yeah and then it also you know explained why he broke down crying when they were having sabbath he and his wife and his daughter they were having sabbath together and then why he did finally open up and have all these conversations with the rabbi like all of these stories made were suddenly i don't know it just felt earned they did a good job. They did a good job. Like, when, like starting with the killing at the beginning and then looping back to two weeks earlier. Again, it's one of the 
oldest yes. tricks ever. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I did I did not have high hopes, my friends. I was like, okay, fine, <laughs> do this. But they leaned into it. They did it really well. I like this. This was good. Even though I didn't get any points. Points them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We're 0-2, people. We're 0-2. This does not bode well. Oh, I need a victory. I need a victory. I also need scandal. Oh, she has you... picked up the phone, okay. looking at notes, hit me with a scandal. Okay. This <laughs> scandal involves the West End show called Woman in Black. Which you saw. Which I did see. Which and is you, phenomenal. You I jumped into another it. man's lap or like the two of you held hands or something because you were both it was, so scared. It, was, it is a ridiculously <laughs> scary show, people. Oh my God, I loved it. I know why it's been running forever. I, two thumbs up. Cannot recommend highly enough. It, it will scare you. If you like scary things, go. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, it's been running forever. It's been running forever. And it literally gave me nightmares. Yeah, oh my god! It I'm legit so sorry. gave me nightmares. <laughs> I am also a scaredy cat, but it is a really good show. I was seeing one man, two governors down yes. the street, and you were like, ah! at Woman in Black. I I wish I had seen it. So this involves Woman in Black. Woman in Black. It involves Shakespeare. Shakespeare. And it involves the Great British Bake Off. What? <laughs> These three things. British Bake Off? Yes. Oh, okay. I am here for you. Please let me get my popcorn. Okay. Sometime in 2011-2013, the UK entertainment papers were scandalized when it was reported that show creator... This is after this show had finished, by the way. Yeah, yeah Waking yeah. the Dead uh, finished in 2011. So it was reported that Barbara Machen... The creator of the show. Creator of the show, age 65... Wow. ...had a new girlfriend in 73-year-old mystery author Susan Hill, who wrote The Woman in Black, the famous West End play yes. and film starring Daniel Radcliffe who had reportedly just left her husband of 38 years, Shakespearean scholar Professor Stanley Wells, and moved into Barbara's place in Norfolk. But in 2016, three years later, gossips were bowled over when Barbara Maschen was reported to have left Susan Hill for lefty activist and comedian Rhonda Cameron, 50 years old, who was once accused of outing her famous her famous former partner, who was the presenter Sue Perkins of the Great British Bake Off, who was not openly gay at the time. Cameron and Mashin were reported to have been introduced at the London Screenwriters Festival, and there's some other details. But Susan Hill of Woman in Black. Wow. Left her Left Shakespeare her husband. professor husband for Barbara Mashin. Fell in love with her because they met when um, the two of <laughs> when them... When Barbara Mashin jumped out of her chair and into her lap <laughs> at its performance of The Woman in Black. Right. Susan Hill has a series. I can't pronounce it. S-E-R-R-A-I-L-L-E-R. -L -L -E They're crime novels. Sure. And Barbara Mashin was going to adapt it into a film for Susan. And Susan fell completely with no knowledge of herself being bi or a lesbian or anything. 
And was in her 70s. And was in her 70s and fell in love with this movie adapter who was in her 60s, Barbara Mashin. So she left her husband. And then just what, three years later? Later was left by Barbara for another woman who was 50 years old. Yeah. So so that's that's why I was saying about Sue Johnston in this show. Like, Barbara is standing up for all the ladies of age in the country. Yeah, I can see that. We we are not dead. (laughs) (laughs) Just because we may have already had children and have grandchildren does not mean that we are not still having sex and falling in love and moving in with each other. Or, I mean, I don't mean we. I just mean, like, is, ladies is are... Is there something you want to tell no, me, Jessica? No, I have nothing to tell you. <laughs> what I'm saying is that, like, we are not dead. <laughs> ladies are not... I don't know. There's just this idea in yeah. America... Yeah, once you're over 30, once you're a mother, once you... Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're just... You have no other roles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went to a an improv comedy thing and literally it wasn't even just like auditioning meant I could only ever have mother roles. Mm. It was like I was standing in a comedy room and every single character I came, I walked into the other kids in the room were like, mom, so mom, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Oh my God, what the fuck? You can't even just think of me as like another woman in the room. Like I'm your mother, the end. Anyway. So, yeah. And, Come and on, improvers, do better. Another crazy thing about the woman that Barbara Mashin left Susan Hill for, when Barbara Mashin met Rhonda Cameron in 2016 and left Susan Hill, by the time that Rhonda Cameron had met Barbara Mashin, she was 50 years old, and she was with another woman, a 38-year-old school teacher, who was pregnant. Wow, and, you left your pregnant partner to, and to the, go with Barbara. Yes, and the entertainment papers were found it necessary to point out that in Rhonda Cameron's Edinburgh play, because all comedians go to Edinburgh, that she had said that she had a very promiscuous past. <laughs> and so I was like, you saw fit to point this out. May I just say, <laughs> may I just... <laughs> I just, I just, I just, Barbara Mashin, let me doff my cap to you. Like, girl, you got game. Yes, she you really got does. Game, girl. Well done. She must be some sort of magic person because, yeah, she just, she was like, you. <laughs> she wove Susan Hill and was just like, come and look at me. And then and three years yeah. later, Rhonda well, Cameron, well, like, ooh. Barbara, we'd, Barbara, we'd love to have you on the pod. <laughs> All right. Do, are there, so is there, are there any more scandals? I don't know. I mean, I can share. <laughs> it's can, Barbara Mashin. Of course there's scandals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there must be some history of her, like, her, what's it called again in, in D&D when you... Her charisma score. Her charisma score her charisma must score be, like, through the roof. off through the it must be like roll, you know, natural D20. Yeah, she's <laughs> natural D20 plus 18 plus, plus she's got all sorts of stacking <laughs> modifiers. It's plus just, 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I hopefully, hopefully we will get some stacking modifiers the next time it's time for us to guess because we are not doing so good right now. But, so what are we doing next time? Well, by Siri, 
we are going to be doing Grimm. Grimm! All right. That sounds like a fun show. Lots of uh, fairy tale murders to look into. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm Jacob. I'm Jessica. See you next time. game that they were right. playing that they they were like oh they were so distracted by the fact that she didn't get killed off that they forgot to realize that the importance to the story that's an interesting point yeah i can see that yeah yeah so wow oh, writers uh, are fun